0: Welcome back, honorary Shaker Heights residents. I am thrilled that you're back with us on the podcast. My name is Jamie Loftus, back for another episode of Little Fires Everywhere, the official podcast, the only show that takes you behind the scenes and into the minds of the creatives on the show. Today, I want to talk about bringing the Shaker world to life, visually and sonically, because building the world of Little Fires Everywhere was no small feat. It's a location-specific period piece, and yes, I know, the 90s do count as a period piece now, get over it. It's also a deeply emotional world that requires a pitch-perfect score and soundtrack, and it's a world full of complicated, brilliant art. So in this episode, we're going to take you through the minds that shaped the Shaker Heights of the Hulu series, both in sight and sound. We're going to speak with artist Connie Martin Trevino, who created all of Mia's art for the show. We're gonna talk to production designer Jess Kender, and I'm very excited to have sat down with the show's composers, veteran composer Mark Isham, and first-time TV composer Iza Summers, who is literally the machine of Florence and the Machine. So really, really cool collaboration there. And we're also gonna speak to legendary music supervisor, Mary Ramos, who put Mark and Iza together collaboratively and shaped the sound of the show. So. Lots to look forward to today, but first, I wanted to understand where the approach to the art of the series came from on the production side, and so I got a chance to speak with Little Fires Everywhere showrunner, head writer, and executive producer Liz Tigelar, along with Lynn Shelton, who was also an executive producer on the show and directed four episodes in the series, including episode 105. So let's take a listen to our conversation. Hi, Lynn. Hi. So as the series goes on, there's an increased focus on Mia's art and weaving it into the plot. So I'm curious, what were the discussions like around when the art comes into the story in a meaningful way and what was your approach in finding an artist to make it?
1: Well, I I just have to say that it was something that really was nerve-wracking for me because just the representation of her as an artist and up what her artwork would be. I've seen so much bad art <laughs> <laughs> in movies yep. you know of, and it's and, and tv shows and it's just it's embarrassing you know and being somebody who's true a true art lover I wanted it to feel really good and mm. really you know interesting and disturbing
2: and lives oh I mean we talked about the art in the room for so long and really mm-hmm. Amy Talkington who is an artist and and kind of, you know, was in New York, kind of in the in the music world and art world. Mm-hmm. She really curated everything for us and kind of came up with ideas and came yeah. up with, you know, all these different artists that could kind of draw on in terms of collage and sculpture and everything that Mia did. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of had all the ideas of what the art would be. And then, of course, anything that was in the book, we also drew on. Sure. Uh, or we drew from the book. But then we interviewed artists and we landed on this wonderful artist, Connie Martin Trevino, who, you know, we knew we wanted a black artist. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew we wanted a woman. Connie was just, you know, she'd never worked with a show before in this capacity. Yeah, she is visionary.
1: It's it's a real challenge. And she just really grows to it. I do. I want to say that Carrie took photography classes and she really dove in to prepare she oh yeah to wow. prepare yeah and that's really incredible. and she had on the days that she was in the dark room we were shooting her in the dark room she had her photography teacher actually come to set oh. so that she you know to make sure she was doing it correctly mm-hmm. and you know she was again the total investment um but i just wanted to give a shout out to that yeah, as well as amazing. part of her process
0: well, thank you so much, Lynn. Thanks, Lynn. Yes,
1: thank you, Lynn. Thanks, Liz. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Of course.
0: Thanks again to Lynn Shelton and Liz Tigelar, and we'll be hearing more from them in future episodes of Little Fires Everywhere, the official podcast. So when Liz told me about Connie Martin Trevino, an incredible artist who later became the heart and talent behind Mia Warren's art, I knew that I would stop at nothing to talk to her, and I was lucky enough to get a chance to sit down with her and the Little Fires Everywhere production designer, Jess Kinder, who masterminded and was the creative heart behind the sets of the show, all the way from finding Elena's house to the granular, brilliant details in building out a teenager's bedroom in the 1990s. So let's listen to some of that conversation.
3: Uh, My name is Jess Kinder, and I was the production designer on Little Fires Everywhere.
4: And my name is Connie Martin Trevino, and I was the artist who created the work that Carrie's character is creating in the show.
0: It seems like a more dense job than your average uh, production design job, because not only are you bringing a place that exists to life, it's also a period piece. And then there's also not just an artist, but like a great artist working inside of it. So... Connie, what what drew you to this project uh,
4: to begin with? It's so strange how it all kind of came about. Someone referred me to this project that was happening that was looking for an artist who happened to work in certain mediums like photography, collage, and sculpture. And I was like, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) I I felt like it was for me. Yeah. But... uh, I've never worked in this environment in terms of on a studio set kind of thing before. And so I wasn't really sure what to expect.
3: Yeah, we actually we had a whole bunch of artists that we looked at um, Mm -hmm. and we only interviewed very few. And Connie came in the room and there was actually this one piece of art she showed, which is a photograph that had cheesecloth on top of it, mm-hmm. um, that she had manipulated in a bunch of different ways. And that was literally something that was written in the script on how the artist Whoa. sort of played around with her photography. And the second she pulled that out, all of us in the room were like, <gasps> you know, and weird. she yeah, no, it was, I was like, it was,
0: that's like freaky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it cool. was weird. Yeah. Uh, Connie, I want I want I'm so curious about what this process was like for you. And so for for listeners, you did all of Mia's art that appears in the show. That is correct. Okay. Um so what was that process like
4: for you creating art as a different person? There was a part of me that didn't necessarily feel that I was a different person because I felt like the character of Mia mm-hmm. was actually like myself. So it came to me actually kind of easily. I didn't find it challenging at all. And and there are times when people have asked me, you know, I, I didn't have really any stress or any anxiety or anything about it. It, it just kind of flowed. And, and yeah. it is still a very strange sort of surreal experience because you would have thought that it would have kind of created a... A, a weird kind of environment or a, a place, since I had never actually worked in that capacity. Sure, but it 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 was not a challenge at all.
3: I also think what is good about Connie's work is that she is a strong enough artist that when she came in and she said, "This is this is what I do," mm-hmm. you know, like this is. This is me. Like here's the me that fits what you were looking for, but here's the me that you didn't know you wanted. Yeah. She a lot of her styles, like she does this great collaging that wasn't written in the script. That developed after everybody saw her work and were like, "We're like what you're doing. Let's let's use this and oh, make great. this into it."
0: I was I was wondering that of of how much of the art was determined by what was on the page, and then I know that you have your own work and instincts of what would Mia create? What was that process like?
4: So I guess initially there were certain things that they were kind of looking for. So they would say, you know, this is what what we're thinking. Mm-hmm. And I could say, well, this is how something like that would happen and work at that time period. Like, that doesn't make any sense if it was the case? Uh, okay. Yeah. Or I would think about okay. So how would something like this be done, and how would I do it as this person, as the artist, but also to as Mia, who is you know from that that time period. Yeah. And so that's how the work kind of got created.
3: Okay. So I think a good example of that is the piece that you've seen everywhere, which is Lena's face burning. Uh-huh. What had originally it had originally been conceived as? uh you would see Izzy cutting wire. You would see Izzy cutting strips, mm-hmm. and then there was like this 3D mold that would happen, that would form Elena's face. And in fact, the burning wasn't in there. Oh, in the beginning. Interesting. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't in there in the beginning at all. That was something that that developed throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And when Connie came in, and we were talking about it, we were like, okay, because they once she sort of she didn't really have to prove herself, but as soon as she got in, people were like, let's hear what she has to say, and she. We ended up with Mia being much more organic in what she did. And mm-hmm. Connie was like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. You speak to this part. But what I saw happening was this is too – it's too much. It's too – you're, you're asking, you wouldn't do, yeah, exactly. yeah. You, you wouldn't do all
4: that, <laughs> and you wouldn't do all that in the time constraints or in the environment. It's sure. it's like you have to be realistic. Okay, so when does she have time to to do this? Yeah. <laughs> she's like working so, yeah, two so you jobs. Have to yeah, working two jobs. Just all you know, all the things that that she's doing. So yeah, so it would have, it had to make sense to me that because all I kept thinking was if my artist friends, mm-hmm. <laughs> if they were looking at this and they'd be like. That's not possible because I often do that, you know, when I'm look if I'm looking at something and and it's something that I am familiar with and have an understanding. And then I see it happening in a certain kind of sequence or or in a certain way. It doesn't feel believable. And I guess I really it was important to me to think about these things looking true Mm. and looking possible, Mm. you know, at that time period. Absolutely. So, and yeah. and that
0: um, that Elena piece is so powerful and cool <laughs> and, and to the point where when it shows up organically in the show, I'm like, was that in the book? It seems like it should have been if it wasn't, you know, like it just yeah feels like, yeah, like just such a grounded part of of the world. Uh, and
3: I think what's great, too, is it there's like a little bit of like the actual what you need for the show, which is like Liz said, it's important to me to have the beats of Izzy and Mia working together. So we were like, Mm -hmm. okay, how many beats do you need? And so they gave us that many beats and Connie was like, okay, let me see. This is what I'm thinking. And she drew a quick sketch. Mm -hmm. One of the things I loved about working with her is I tell her this all the time. Like my mind would never think the way that she thinks. And so she came back and she drew the sketch of what you end up seeing. And I was like, this is so good. It's so good. And and it was... There's something about the, like, simplicity and not the mm-hmm. overwroughtness that just worked. But she still was like, okay, they will cut these things together. They will tie these things together. They will punch these holes together. So it still hit all the beats, but was just stunning in yeah. what it was. And then, you know, like... it. Burned like ah, mm-hmm. oh, it looks so cool. Liz loved it so much that her rap gift to everybody was she made little mini ones of those and oh she would God. write a note on the back of it and give it out to people. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So they were like this big. Liz is the best. Yeah.
0: Man, that's so cool. Uh I, the other piece I wanted to ask you about specifically that I it's it's so interesting. Like the when I read about it in the book and then what you created, it felt so uh the the um the spider uh, mm-hmm. Photograph. Mm-hmm. Yes. What was the process of of putting that together? Because it's so striking, and I think for people who have read the book, it very much holds up and exceeds like wh- how you imagine it when you're reading.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, you want the actual? Yes, <laughs> yeah. No, you started. I, <laughs> do. Start it, I, I good. Do. Yeah. <laughs> well, initially. Juicy. So when they said that they, you know, this was the first. So the minute that they told me that I had it, and then we met. It was like, okay, zero to a hundred. So it was about, yeah. you know, automatically, you know, getting into a certain mindset of having to try to like, you know, make things these things happen in a certain sort of um time frame. Sure. And and so once I knew I had it, I was like, okay, well, we don't have the model yet. We don't have the model yet. Let me use myself. Cause I mean, cool. Um, a lot of my photography also too early um images are all self portraits Um, and having also to experience and had gone through pregnancy and miscarriages and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I tried to really think about the feeling that we were trying to convey Mm -hmm. uh, about this spider woman image and how this picture came to be in Mia's head. Mm -hmm. And so to just kind of jumpstart that, you know, to to be Mia yeah. Um, in that place. I started practicing or practicing or just shooting myself and doing time exposures and slow exposures and moving in and out and feeling, you know, a lot of uh, emotional kinds of feelings that I wanted to convey in that. um, It became about layering. Mm -hmm. I was playing with fabric and textures and all kinds of things to really also give this feeling of, a web and web-like. I took a picture of spider webs Mm -hmm. on my fence that had some dew, Uh you know, so that gave also to a certain amount of texture, which then became, you know, some of the background sort of texture that you see in that hole.
3: Yeah, if you look closely, it's there. Like, if you look, look if you you get a chance to look at that image, yeah.
0: Knowing in the process that you practice it on yourself, too, that's so, that's so cool. Uh, that, That image, I think... It's so striking and beautiful, and it's
3: creepy. a little terrifying. <laughs> it's too. scary. Yeah. Oh, it's for sure it's <laughs> scary. i Love yeah. oh,
0: It's terrifying. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But it feels, it just feels like such a perfect encapsulation of you know where Mia is at when she creates it too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm curious. I uh, Liz had told us that Carrie was very committed to channeling Mia and was like taking photos on set and was really trying to um, put herself in that mindset. Did either of you speak with her or do any sort of prep with her just to make that connection?
3: She was very involved in the Mia's art, in where where it was cool. going. She was also very respectful. I think everyone, Connie kind of proved herself, so everyone was super respectful, but she, yeah. there wasn't a single piece of artwork that went out without her seeing it and giving it a thumbs up.
4: That's awesome. And what's even... I thought was really cool was at the very beginning. Um, Carrie texted me and asked me if she could call me, and I said yes. Of course you can call <laughs> me, <laughs> Carrie Washington. I guess, you can call and uh, it was really about us discussing Mia as a character yeah. and the vision. And she was so open and wanting to hear what I had to say. Uh-huh. Um, as an artist it just made being able to create the work so much easier yeah because they did give me the opportunity because at first you don't know if you're going to feel as though you're being micromanaged right um am i just creating this just exactly like how they want it mm-hmm. um or or am i able to actually feel like i'm being able to do what it is that i do and i totally right. felt like i was able to. Be able to do what it is that I do. Right. And of course, there is still is some, there was some going back and forth sometimes kind of like, how can we like, let's have some more of that. So then it was right. like, well, okay, because I'm not sure how much you want. So we can always make it more. Yeah. And Being able to talk to Carrie, not only at the very beginning, but then when I would show up on set and she was asking me about how am I holding the camera? You know, is there anything that you see that you would suggest that I do differently? Because I really wanted to come off like, you know, this camera uh, is a part of me. Right. Of course. And absolutely. So I, you know, if I said, well, I wouldn't probably hold it that way. I would do it like this. She was totally receptive and um, just really, again, open to just wanting to give the most authentic portrayal. I feel. I mean, and that makes a lot of sense. Just based on Carrie's interpretation
0: of Mia, and and your artistic interpretation of Mia feels so just in sync with each other. That's that's so cool. And then and then for Jess, I guess just kind of addressing what seems, I would guess, would be an additional challenge of you're not just building out this world, but you're setting it in a specific time. As a production designer, what are the things you consider, especially going into a period piece?
3: Well, I mean, I think for me, because it was set in the 90s and I graduated in 97, it was very easy to me (laughs) to reference that time frame. I think the tricky thing is the 90s is not a um, design-loved era. (laughs) And so you don't have at your fingertips people who have restored all these things or kept all these things, like trying to track down stuff that looked like the nineties is hard because everyone is like, eh, you know, I got rid of it. Exactly. Like we, we didn't keep that. That that wasn't, I mean, maybe it will have its heyday again. Like mom jeans are back. So, yeah. But the furniture here for it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And were there any, just because, uh, you know, the nineties is a time you're very connected to anyways, were there certain design elements or like, references you were like oh we definitely I want to include this because this is a part of my 90s experience
3: what's funny is that actually the things that got to me more than anything else were like the props like I thought about you know yeah I was graduating college so I was eating a ton of snack wells you know like (laughs) I was I did the slim fast after I put on the freshman 15 you know like and whenever those would come out we had like a 90210 game that Mm -hmm. was in Lexi's room you know like it was fun stuff like that. Really, yeah. the the creating the overall look of the world, that was more about, like, my dad was raised in Cleveland. You know, I lived in Jersey oh, cool. most of my life. And it was sort of pulling those, like, I remember when Ralph Lauren and Ethan Allen and all of that. And so just pulling up those references again to get the right vibe. But yeah. what I enjoyed the most was almost the little... The little things that would come up where you're like, I did that, you right. know? Oh, God.
0: Seeing that Slim Fast can, I just like saw my mom's fridge. I was like, yep, yep. I know that can. exactly. <laughs> yes.
3: It's fantastic.
0: Connie, Jess, thank you so much for sitting with us. And um, congratulations on uh, making such an amazing show. Thank oh, you. Well, thank you for having
3: me. Yeah.
0: Thank you again to Connie Martin Trevino and Jess Kinder, for that look behind the visual world of Little Fires Everywhere. And we'll be talking to Jess more in future episodes of the podcast as well. So, now that you have a better understanding of the visual world behind the show, I want to take you into the sound. Music supervisor Mary Ramos and composers Mark Isham and Isabella Summers, who, for the uninitiated, is the machine portion of Florence and the Machine, worked in harmony to blend an incredible dramatic score with the music of the 90s that shaped the world of all the characters in the shaker heights of the show i got a chance to catch up with the three of them ahead of the little fires everywhere premiere so let's take a listen thank you all so much for joining us today uh, so for listeners of the podcast who are new to the music for television process could you tell us what your jobs are on the show and what those jobs entail
5: hi i'm mary ramos i'm the music supervisor on little fires everywhere um, my job is to kind of handle all musical aspects of the show, which includes helping to um, pick song choices, helping to create characters' tastes in music, mm-hmm. and also to make suggestions on who the most awesome composers should be. Ooh. And in this case, we have <laughs> two of the most amazing musicians as our composers building this world. Mark Isham, who is responsible for uh, so many amazing scores, crash his incredible score for Once Upon a Time, the ABC show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have borrowed from Mark's collection of music many times when I've w- been working on other shows trying amazing. to create the emotional feels because he is so good at that. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Is a Machine, Isabella Summers, who is the architect – of the Florence and the Machine sound. She is the fire and the drums and the drama uh, that you hear in Florence and the Machine. Amazing.
0: All right. Uh, so now now that we know what you do, I think that there is not really a lot of well-known information about how the sonic world of a TV show is created. So would the three of you mind talking a little bit about what is your collaborative process like when you're given a project like Little Fires Everywhere and told, how does this world sound?
5: This was an exciting project for very many reasons, um, two of which are uh Carrie Washington and Reese witherspoon,
0: mm-hmm.
5: um amazing actresses, producers, um with their vision. And this book, I did read the book beforehand, so I was familiar with the story, but not familiar with the way that Liz Tigelar had orchestrated uh, changing the characters around and really brought the story even more to life. And I knew that their intention was to bring a, a personality, to to really imbue a personality with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, For Little Fires Everywhere. And I'd worked with Iza um, machine on another project. Oh, uh, great. Okay. Assassination Nation. She had done uh, a piece of score for that that was killer. Yes. And um, so I'd always thought of a time that I'd want to use – work with her again. Not use her. Sorry. (laughs) Work with her again. She's not. (laughs) I didn't milk. No. It's all right.
6: Like that,
5: is it? (laughs) (laughs) And she hadn't scored a full project before. And it was just a natural – Because I knew I'd worked with Mark Isham before on a movie called Freedom Riders, where he did an amazing job Mm. and really brought together Mark. Remember, you worked with Will I Am on that score. (laughs) And Miri Ben-Ari. Miri Ben-Ari, yeah. um, And it it turned out really beautiful. And honestly, he was a a ringmaster (laughs) on that situation, too. So I knew that Mark was not only an amazing composer, but also was really a good base uh, for... um, to work with an artist like Iza.
0: Okay, and then um, Mark and Iza, what what was your collaborative process like composing uh, the music for this show?
6: So we managed to set it up so that Iza could come here, and we we just sat in a room for days,
0: <laughs>
6: and uh, just
7: <laughs> had a really good time making music. <laughs>
6: <laughs> and just, Essentially. Yeah, and I think I think the it it did actually do exactly what we set out to do. I don't think either one of us would have written a score like this on our own. Exactly. In fact, I know it for sure. There, there, there's something completely unique about this. I would have never done it like this. it wouldn't have done it like this. Uh, and yet it's very strong, and it has a, definitely a point of view.
7: The beautiful thing is that I've, I've never um, scored anything before. I've done music and, like, did a piece of score for a film. That is how I met Mary. But to be presented with this opportunity and then, you know... Um, Partnered with Mark Isham, just I mean I feel like I just fell into like the most beautiful situation because everyone was so nice, and then you know validating what I do from a rock and roll perspective, and then bringing that together and making a sense of it with picture was just the most beautiful thing. (laughs) That's so cool. That sounds
0: like such
5: a great collaboration. Oh, it was so fun. And there were often times when we'd, you know, I'd go over to the studio with them and they'd put up the picture and they'd, you know, play a pass at a cue Mm. and it'd be like, oh, bring more flyer. And Mark (laughs) uh, would say, oh, I happen to have... A burning piano sample. Wait,
6: what? <laughs> yeah. What is there, a burning some, piano sample? There's some crazy guys who do make these sample libraries, and one of them, for God knows why, he thought we should set this piano on fire and sample it. Oh my god! <laughs> and that's, exact, that's exactly what they did, and it's
2: Whoa. it's a pretty,
6: it's a pretty whacked out sound.
2: <laughs> I
5: can imagine, yeah. And then Isa, of course, did set a piano on fire, so you know. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Would not put it past her? Uh, I was like, oh, drama. give me any
1: ideas,
7: Mary. Would not put it past her? <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Mary, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the use of cover songs throughout the show. You do such a beautiful job of taking music from that time and grounding it in this very modern, emotionally resonant sound. So how did you go about finding the right songs to fit the Little Fires Everywhere
5: universe? So in order to be able to be a little bit unique or have something that's unique to our show, it's, you know, was an idea to try and use covers. But also, um, really, because we had this opportunity with these two amazing composers, Mm -hmm. um, the idea would be to make these covers uh, organic with the score. That's the word. Because um, we had this fire and this great vibe to the score, and then just to segue into a song that's really part of that score is what really makes them work really well, I think. I'm very curious about how you go
0: about finding the right voice for each
7: cover. Yeah, it was kind of a little bit of a get yeah, by with a little help from your friends type of situation. <laughs> I, you know, was already uh, writing, through writing a song with my friend Judith Hill at the beginning of this year anyway. So when we were in the studio uh, one night, I said, do you want to do a cover with me for my first tv show and she was like i'd love to so we kind of went through that uh, like a very well curated list of um potential songs um and you know judith took to uh, the idea of phil collins in the S tonight mm-hmm. and um we we kind of like smashed it out in like an hour or an hour and a half and it, it's so easy to work with it's so easy to work with amazing voices. Mm. So like, because, you know, they, they just, there's not, it doesn't take, a great amount of effort to get something incredible.
0: They're so beautifully done and they also do feel so cohesively inside of this world mm. in the same like it it's just yeah, it's really well done. I loved the covers so much. Were there any scenes that stood out to the three of you as like this was particularly like oh, I can't wait to score this scene or like this scene was a little
5: challenging or I remember there were two scenes that were really fun to um Consider you guys working on it. one was when Mia goes through the house, the Valium cue, mm-hmm. and the war path basically, and then the culmination where she creates that one piece of art uh, in episode 104 um, at the end, and those were cues I was really looking forward to. To
0: to pull back a, a little bit, I am curious at, at what drew everyone
5: individually to this project i had read the book before and obviously dug it um Mm -hmm. i also have worked with carrie washington before worked Mm -hmm. with her company before and also worked with her on django Unchained. um and uh, pilar Savone. her her partner is a good friend and so they brought me in but i had also been a massive fan of reese witherspoon her her taste and material her acting her you know just the her production company, all of it. And then walking into the room for my first meeting and seeing all these women around the table, yeah. you know, was pretty incredible.
0: And is there anything else about the composing for television process that our listeners might not know?
6: There was one thing I thought we should talk about, which is, is wow. so we actually had a 17-piece string group and a wow. harpist and one of the world's greatest drummers. And, that, and that's sort of rare in television. And that really brings this stuff to life, and it's really a big part of why we could choose t- to write the music in the way we chose it. You're going to have here in Los Angeles some of the finest musicians in the world able to come in and play. Right. You you start to think in another way, and I think it. I think that's a big part of what makes this score just pop out and just stand up. At, up as something really unique
7: absolutely you can't beat live musicians and we were so blessed to be in Capitol record to record that was fantastic that's incredible
5: and East West we were in these amazing uh, rock and roll um, yeah. recording studios that had you know they just have these ghosts in this in their <laughs> DNA and their you know so our our recording sessions for this score were all like rock concerts yeah <laughs> uh, really fun That's amazing. Um, One thing I'd like to say is, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Carrie's um, character and the music that she listened to and stuff. We did actually really consider what Elena would be listening to. Yeah. And it was very important because one of the first cues you see in the pilot is a piece of music that Elena um, uh, listens to. And it was really important to strike the right chord and to hit the right tone. And to have the right pep, but also something that was hip, but that was, you know, it all had to fit within her character. And right. really, even though we only hear uh, one uh, of her choices that Elena would listen to, we really gave a lot of consideration. And Reese gave a lot of consideration to the music her character would listen to and the the music in the world of Shaker Heights. Right. So right. that was really important, too. Are there any really titles strong. that like, stand out for uh,
0: Elena's, like, oh, oh, this would have been in her heavy rotation?
5: There was, I think, Shania Twain, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, man, I feel like a woman, I think, yeah. maybe. Um, but, she, but they also weighed in heavily about—we we went back and forth over—in um, episode 103, there's a school dance. Mm-hmm. And we went back and forth and back and forth about what kind of music would play there. We, we really felt like it was—you know, first we thought it was it was going to be an awesome opportunity to play some, um, you know, cool— cool music, you know, alternative music from the time period. And then we realized yeah. as we put it to picture, no, this is a school dance. They would have played, you know, the top 40. Yeah. And so we ended up, um, you know, going with what would have been on the radio at the time, um, which is still <laughs> cool. I mean, we hit it up, you know, we, we end it with a really fun song um, via Luke, uh, It's Your Birthday. Yes, um, yeah. And it's uh, it's really fun because the cast like starts dancing around and having a great time to that song. It,
0: it was really fun talking to the younger cast of, of the show, and I was like, "Did you know any of this music?" They're like. Mm. Kind of, but they're all. None of them were alive when this <laughs> show was happening, which is a very sobering thing to hear. Uh, oh
7: my God, is that sobering? Long yeah, <laughs> all of
0: them are like, yeah, I was born in two thousand one, so I'm not really sure. It's like, right, 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 right. Well, Those we're gonna so it, funny.
5: Uh, introduce them to some cool music.
0: Exactly, they got the perfect <laughs> w- in. um Thank you to all three of you so much for for making the time and talking to us a little bit about your process. I really appreciate it. No,
7: thank, thank you, you very, very much. much.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again to the incomparable Mary Ramos, Mark Isham, and Isabella Summers. And thanks to you, our listeners, for coming to hang out with us for another episode of Little Fires Everywhere, the official podcast to get a feel for the sights and sounds of Shaker Heights, Ohio. I would tell you what next week's podcast is about, but it would give away too much about the incredible episode that's airing on Hulu next Wednesday. So you'll just have to subscribe to the podcast and come back next week to see what's in store. Remember to follow Little Fires Everywhere on all platforms at Little Fires Hulu and look forward to a new episode of Little Fires Everywhere, the podcast, after new episodes of the show air on Hulu each Wednesday. My name's Jamie Loftus, and until next time, shakerites.